Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. We're glad that you could join us for episode number 38. Our guest today is Andy Lee. He's become a regular here on this podcast. We have enjoyed his company, his analysis, and the things that have been very popularly received. Andy is a longtime friend and very knowledgeable about how people think, particularly in his generation, which I am very interested in, and not, not only how people think, but how people should think. So welcome, Andy. Thanks, Vic. Always good to be back with you. Well, we've enjoyed having you be able to come down here to Cincinnati and to be able to share uh, a lot of our thoughts. So today, what I'd like to discuss is a subject that you and I have touched on a number of times, the subject of truth. And the question is, so what is truth? It seems to be a subject that's relatively straightforward. I mean, truth is facts that are correct. One and one is two. I mean, that's the truth. Uh, one and one being other than two is is false. So we want to be able to pass that on to uh, other aspects and other disciplines. So that is a question that we are seeking an answer to. Human beings have been seeking for truth. At one time, there was very little information and knowledge. Now that we have instruments that can search the heavens, that can explore the minute things, we have science that is able to discover causes, we think we can get closer to the truth. But it seems that we are not as close to the truth as we want to be, and we seem to be further away from it. At one time, people felt that truth was suppressed when information was limited and news sources were carefully restricted. I just want to comment on the fact that in the USSR, when it was under the communist government, there were only two newspapers in the country. One was called Pravda, which means truth, and the other one was called Izvestia, which means news. And even the people there smirked at that saying that Pravda was not the truth and Izvestia was not the news. And people felt that they were told incorrect information. But in contrast, today we have hundreds, literally hundreds of news sources that give us every single shade of understanding of whatever the situation may be, whether it's an event, a criminal event, political event, whatever, and the shade of what is truth goes from one extreme to another to where the extremes are opposite of one another. So with this backdrop, we want to talk about the ways that we can handle truth in our personal lives, but also how we need to be careful about how we consume the truth. And also we can give a message to those around us is that we want the truth. Uh, we don't want nonsense. <laughs> we want to be able to have facts that are correct and true. So Andy, with that, I just wanted to have you make an opening statement about the kinds of things that we want to talk about. Yeah, thanks, Vic. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a big topic. And, you know, for staying, I think, out of the realm of moral truth for the moment and, and looking at how do we sift through just all of the, the, the theories and the views on popular things in the press today and how do we ferret out what's actually accurate, what's not accurate, how do we make sure we're making decisions, whether it's health decisions, whether it's financial decisions, whether it's other life decisions um, based on actual fact and not urban legend or myth or what the person yelling the most loudly had to say. Um, to me, it's an intriguing conversation. And it's amazing to me in some ways that 
in, in the world we're in today where information available has expanded exponentially, uh, the ability to actually get to the heart of a matter and figure out truth from lies has become, if anything, more difficult and more challenging. Mm -hmm. well, I would say one confrontation of what you are talking about is in the COVID crisis where we had various and different and contradictory disciplines come at us regarding you know just the whole COVID situation about how true it was, what was being said, what was true about the virus, what was true about the vaccine. We had it shouted to us from various media sources, including religious sources, and people have become confused. It has disabled their being able to function, and I feel like that's very important for us to be able to have some instruction as to how to find our bearings. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt it. <laughs> it's, it's been an amazing few years with all of the different um, viewpoints and, and theories and everything else that's been put forward. You know, what's been interesting to me has been looking at, I think, the pace at which we like to have answers compared to where a real diligent search for the truth takes you in terms of time and attention. I think partly because of so much media right at our fingertips. We're, we're kind of used to this idea that if I don't know something, I can just Google it and I can figure it out right away. I was doing some basic plumbing repairs around the house the last couple of days, replacing washers and fixing some sinks and things. And if I got in a jam, I just went out to YouTube, pulled up a video, a couple searches, I was able to find what I needed, watch a three or four minute video uh, and, and get things figured out. And it's, it's incredibly convenient to be able to do that. But you know, especially when you think about COVID and everything we were trying to work through, to, to, to think that we can do a quick search and have an answer ready, you know, even in a month or a couple of months time, uh, that is the truth and the facts about everything, I think is pretty naive. And if you talk to people, you know, I know a number of people who have different types of medical degrees and PhDs, and they're they're very strong proponents of the the academic method and the fact that papers get published and they assert certain findings, test hypotheses, and, and people publish papers then on the other side of the, the matter and they point out flaws in the original paper. And it, there's a back and forth. And in the scientific community, it's very common that you're going to have a flurry of papers published on different sides of an argument. And, and what's striking to me is that not all the time, but most of the time, it's not a personal matter in terms of, I hate you, you said this, so you're a lousy person, but it's a matter of, here are the facts or the data that you put forward, and here's where I think your analysis is flawed or not complete. And then the other person will come back and uh, respond. And in doing that, the scientific method in sifting through information is, is trying to build its way up to some level of consensus and agreement as the errors that are inevitable in the way that ind one individual might look at data, start getting worked through as anomalies in data, uh, start getting eliminated as fields of data get larger so you can start to see actual trends emerge. But I think we, we largely don't have the patience for that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, our political system and our, our, our media system doesn't give us the patience for that. And it's so much more convenient to simply latch onto one theory and, and move forward with it. Don't you think also that not everything that is data is all the data? Uh, I know that uh, there are other factors that influence decisions, and they could be as one thing that you had mentioned, but it's still very much there. 
is people's feelings towards one another and even biases towards that person or towards that nationality or towards that religion or that faith. All that has a bearing into the ultimate search or the ultimate conclusion of what is truth. At conferences, even biblical conferences or archaeological conferences, you will find people that disagree very strongly about the veracity of a location of a site, for example, of a site that's mentioned in the Bible. And there are some who so desperately want that site to be corroborated, and there are others who don't want it to be corroborated. So I'm just saying is that human beings by themselves and by their nature corrupt the process of this search. Don't, don't you agree? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, we all, we all have biases. I think anyone who would say they don't, they don't have a bias is not being honest with themselves because we all do. And I, I, I think that comes through very strongly now as well in some of these things that we see. One of the best examples that I've seen or, or ways of talking about this has been the idea of tribalism. Mm-hmm. We've, we've seen this come up very heavily in our social and political system over the course of the last few years. And, and that is that we, we tend to bind together this idea of belonging to a group of people along with a predominant set of beliefs that, that those people have. And that might be very right and true if you're thinking in terms of religious belief, for example. Um, and you know the people that you're together with in a church organization, for example, are going to have common beliefs, and that's what brings you together as a church. But you know, think about common symbols that we see out there, and and what those mean in terms of what people identify with, and what's okay to believe and what's not. I mean, if you think, for example, if you ask somebody uh, what news source they listen to you're fairly quickly going to categorize them based on the fact that they tell you they listen to Newsmax or Fox News or MSNBC or read the New York Times. And immediately, as you start to ask these questions or think about what news sources they listen to or other things that they might do in their lives, um, you start to draw conclusions immediately about what they think, uh, the way they think, uh, the level of credibility that you assigned their opinions and whether you believe they're actually part of your quote unquote tribe or not. And I think that that can very quickly um, color the way that we ingest information that might come from people. You know, it's, uh, you had written to me about tribalism and I, I kind of had to smile at that because I work in Africa and I deal with many different tribes and people think of it as kind of an archaic word, but when you get to Africa, you really find out that uh, everybody is part of some tribe they could be the same nation, they could be the same congregation, but they are different tribes. In fact, one time at one of the Feasts of Tabernacles, we had a gathering of well, the senior citizens, and there were quite a few. And uh, my question to the group was, tell me what tribe you're from and what are the characteristics of that tribe? And I thought the question might have been maybe offensive. No, they were more than happy to describe their tribe. And they all proudly spoke about, I'm from this tribe, our qualifications or our strengths are we're woodcarvers or we're business people or we're this and that. And I found that to be very, very interesting. I think that when you mentioned about tribalism, to apply it to other things that we have in, in our modern world or in our you know, Western world, I thought was a very interesting uh, perception from you. Yeah, thanks. I think that's something we need to test out. It's not something I've made up myself. I've read, I've read about this concept in a number of different journals and, and magazines over the course of the last several years. And I'm 
more and more convinced that it's at the core of of many of our issues and how we deal with each other these days. And, you know, one of the things that lies at the heart of this idea of tribalism is that um, we don't um, we don't judge things based on facts or some objective standard of right or wrong. Ultimately, we judge it instead uh, based on whether our tribe did it or the other. Right. And we see this a lot in politics, for example, right? A politician that we might agree with uh, does something that's demonstrably bad. And because that person is part of our tribe, we come up with reasons why it's okay, or the end justifies the means, or it wasn't really that bad after all, or it was only one thing. But then when somebody in the other political party does exactly the same thing, we're ready to say, throw them out of office. This makes this person unfit, clearly somebody of um, horrible character. And I think that's probably the place that's most on display. And it, it makes me realize how much we tend to get manipulated by the political process, where political parties really are in it to try to drive public opinion in their favor. And they're willing to use really any means of, of working with people's viewpoints and thoughts that they can. Yes, uh, witness the political campaigns where even laws are suspended because people can say the most outrageous things about their opponent and not get sued for libel or, or uh, any other crime where under normal conditions that would be so uncivil, that would be so rude. But in a political campaign, you can call the other person anything and uh, get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other element of tribalism that I think a lot about, especially when I look at my own life, my viewpoint on things, uh, other people's viewpoints on things is, is tribalism can be a very big pull on us as individuals. If we hold a view that's different than the tribe of people that we identify with, for example, um, if, if you're somebody who tends to avoid um, a lot of medical treatment, doesn't like uh, to get vaccinations. I've had friends who, you know, tend to be that way. Um, but for example, either lived with somebody who had um, huge health issues or um, had a lot of interaction with an elderly person and decided it was going to be best for them to be vaccinated. I mean, th that person telling their friends that they decided to get vaccinated, there was actually a risk of losing relationships, mm -hmm. uh, losing friendships over that. And it goes very much on the other side of things as well. I've had discussions with people at work and, and seen groups of people where if somebody raises their hands and said, I was not vaccinated, it's like the entire group sort of turns on them and immediately says, well, what an idiot. You know, mm -hmm. what was that person thinking? And again, you know, it, it happens on both sides of things. This is, this is an, an equal opportunity issue. This holding of a view that's different from your tribe carries with it ramifications in terms of friendships, relationships, how people treat you that that gets to be more complicated really than it, than it needs to be. Well, in my role uh, as uh, president of the of the church, I was always very cognizant of relationships. I mean, I'm a very relationship type person, and I just didn't want people to blow up over relationships when really the things that bind us are more than relationships. It's a common truth. And I tried to tell people, let's not split apart, and maybe sometimes even color it by saying it's a doctrinal thing, and then as a result, uh, become offended. I've had people write to me on both sides of the question of vaccination, for example, and say, why don't you show this video in church? Why don't you support or why don't you recommend this video? It'd be some doctor who proposes a certain kind of a regime 
that's contrary perhaps to what you know has been seen or known. And, and, and I just have to be so very, very careful about that because I have my own, own views, but I've got to be so careful about not having things fly apart. But I've had very good friends, very close people that write to me and just really pressure me to want to make some kind of a statement you know from the church about their their feelings and that's where i feel like this issue of truth is something that we should calmer time to to examine it and say how do we handle things when we are confronted with this confrontational attitude yeah i think that's a, it's a great it's a great question you know i go back to the fundamental principles that i see in the bible we apply these things in business all the time you know, we read in, in the Proverbs the fact that a multitude of counsel um, brings wisdom. We, we read in the Proverbs about not giving too much heed to the first story that's told mm -hmm. and waiting to make judgment until we've heard both sides of it. You know, in the workplace, one of the big um, things my first boss, a guy named Herb Vieira, told me was uh, always test the assumptions underlying any important decision you have to make as you're looking at everything. There are certain assumptions that are there. You got to test those out. You got to understand what they are and make sure that you agree with those assumptions or you could be led in the wrong direction in terms of the, the decision you're making. And um, Andy, could you maybe give an example of some of this testing an assumption? Sure. So, so you, might, you might hear somebody say, for example, right now, um, we're heading into a time of unparalleled recession. We're going to be in grave financial danger. What should I do with my money? Now, there are two ways to go at that. One is to accept the fact that we're moving into an unparalleled time of economic demise, and therefore there are extreme measures that have to be taken. But I would say the first thing you have to do is test that underlying assumption, right? And that question is an underlying assumption that we are actually headed to economic ruin. You know, I'm not raising this to, <laughs> to give an opinion one way or the other on that. I have an opinion, but I'll withhold that for now. But that would be the assumption to test. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, we do it all the time when we're seeking uh, medical advice. How often do we hear people say, get a second opinion or a third opinion? Mm -hmm. uh, because when we're, our bodies present certain symptoms, they're diagnosed. Pretty much any doctor, I don't think I've ever talked to a doctor who says it's a bad idea to get a second or a third opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and the reason for that is exactly that, testing the assumptions. I'm having this happen uh, to my body. I don't understand what's going on. Dr. A tells me it's this. Well, before I you know, go and have surgery, let's see what Dr. B says. Let's see what Dr. C says. And then let's put those things together uh, and, and see what course of action in, in the end is best based on, again, multiple data points and making sure the assumptions have been set right. So when a person is gravely ill or a disease that could terminate their lives, they should really seek a wider range of, of um, opinion. I might just comment on that because my mother, she was age 58 and she had acute leukemia. It's something which takes your life or can take your life very quickly, which it did. But oh, the, you know, we went to hematologists who basically, you know, gave the medical view of it and said that, you know, it was terminal, that not much could be done except for comforting. And he proposed a number of regimes. Then there were others who came to us with this tea and that tea and this clinic and that clinic in Mexico, you know, just creating a lot of confusion, you know, on, on that point. And I just feel like people need to be considerate and kind to one another. I mean, we weren't offended or anything because I know that everybody's intent was for what was best. But I find that same type of thing with even medicine right now, 
with people offering this or that particular regime, regimen, based upon what they feel about drugs and those who make the drugs. And Yeah, and I, you know, the, 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 the thought that comes to my, my mind, too, as you mentioned, that is working in the area that I do. I do um, tax consulting for multinational corporations. And, and I know I'm acutely aware of what I know and what I don't know. And when I need somebody who's a specialist in a different area uh, to weigh in, right? So I might be dealing with a U.S. domestic tax matter uh, that has to do with a specific state in the union. And the one thing I know very well is that I am not the foremost expert in the United States on corporate tax law in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm going to call somebody who knows and has spent their life or at least decades of time studying and practicing in that area of tax law. And likewise, if I'm working overseas on something or a cross-border transaction, I'm going to find somebody who's got the level of expertise and has spent their time in that area. And I think choosing where we're getting advice from, it's been fashionable lately for some reason to believe that people who, who don't have formal training somehow know automatically more than the people who do have formal training, because those who have formal training have somewhat, somehow been brainwashed. Mm-hmm. And, and we apply that, apply it in politics, we apply it in medicine, we apply it in other parts of life. And um, I just don't find that a recipe for success. Again, we, we seek multiple opinions. I seek out multiple educated opinions in the field that I'm working in. If I'm looking for financial advice, I will talk to several people um, who have longstanding experience in that financial area. I'm not going to talk to somebody um, who has no experience but a lot of opinions because mm-hmm. you know I want something that's fact-based, not just opinion-based. And I think that's, that, that's a piece of advice that I think we all could heed. I think the areas that you spoke about, tax law and finance and all, I think could even be applied to theology for that matter. I have found some theological pronouncements be given by people who have had no education in those things who think they do and don't understand the, the whole whole story. Probably even more, not having the ability to work in a collegial way with others, but forming a very strong opinion, going ahead with it. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's at the core in the end, Vic, is through the way that both social media and mass media have gone over the last number of years, we're very accustomed now to people shouting at each other. It's it's amazing watching. You know, I'm I'm on our next door app, right, which is an app for people who live in the neighborhood, and it's amazing. It takes about five or six posts on a next door app for some innocent post to turn into neighbors calling each other names. Um, <laughs> the same is true in our neighborhood. Exactly. The same. <laughs> I thought we were just a rogue neighborhood. <laughs> no, you see, somebody posts. Somebody posts. I saw a coyote in my backyard, right? And the fourth or fifth post after that is just people, you know, accusing people of not not being able to recognize a dog or being, you know, trying to get people worried and not put their kids outside or, or whatever. And it just kind of devolves. And I think somehow within society we've lost the ability to listen to views different than ours and simply think about them and consider them. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's so much benefit to be had in listening to opposing views understanding them. It doesn't mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean you endorse them. Mm -hmm. But that information is very useful and helpful and sometimes will provide you a meaningful test for what you believe and why you believe and whether everything that you believe yourself is actually true. I'll I'll tell you, I I deliberately listen to and watch news outlets that I ideologically disagree with. Mm -hmm. 
because I think it's incredibly important for me to understand and not to receive one side of the news all the time mm -hmm. um, and, and a side that I can just nod my head to and, and agree with everything I hear. That, as it, as, it, as it happens, there is no source like that because I end up disagreeing with pretty much everything I hear at, at one level or another. But I've found a lot of value in searching out news sources, whether it's television stations, print media, or internet sites, um, that come from an ide ideological bent that is different from mine mm -hmm. um, because it challenges my way of thinking. It makes me think more carefully about how I'm characterizing the other side of an argument mm -hmm. um, to make sure I'm not falling into just a, a parody or a stereotype of what other people think, but really trying to understand, again, even if I don't agree with the ideas, at least understanding why people think that way or the basis on which they're reaching their conclusion. I also find that in your tribe, you may disagree with others in your tribe. And maybe that's part of forming yet another tribe. For example, I have, you know, I'll just bring up an example here of something that, that's true in my life. I hate guns. I, I really don't see any need for guns. I grew, grew up with stories about World War II and my parents and just all that guns have done. And, you know, I never was a hunter. And I know that there are people who like guns and act responsibly. But I really do not support having guns i think that you know there's a case made made for both and probably i'm even offending people right now but the party that opposes guns is is one that i don't really care for many of the things that they do so i mean there's it's a mixture of things it, you don't just line up with everything don't be a straight ticket person because there are various things good and bad in that particular realm of thinking. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that's, to me, that's the way out of this whole dilemma of tribalism that we've we've headed into is to realize that things are not as simple as perhaps the political professionals would like to divide us into with, you know, side A and side B, one being right, the other being wrong. Life issues are, are more nuanced than that. I think the sooner we can realize that and be willing to listen to talk and, and truly exchange ideas, the better off we'll be. Well, that's part of really another question of being a person who really is a Christian, if you want to put it that way, in their beliefs, you know, with humility, with knowledge, with a sense of looking out for what other people think, being considerate rather than being a know-it-all. Like I said, with people that uh, we have hired or that I have hired, I have said I'd rather have somebody who's knowledgeable than somebody who's no, a know-it-all and be and blow smoke in everybody else's face, you know, because how smart he is. Those are the people I have the most difficulty with. But a person who's knowledgeable, who knows a lot of things, who you can talk to and draw out from him how things are done, is the most valuable person of all. And that's the kind of people that I have liked to work with. It's a matter of character, the nature of the person. Yes, I think Vic, as I think about this, just one other topic. That, that I'd like to bring out that I think is is important for us all to think about as well is, is this idea of going to source material. You know, it's interesting watching now high school kids and even even college students um, write papers and they'll they'll use Wikipedia as a as a source or or websites that they they go to without necessarily going down a level or two deeper to see the source material that the information comes from. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I've even read, I've read posts on Facebook where somebody has posted a story with a headline that lined up with their belief on a certain matter. And I'll click through into the actual article. I'll read the article and then I'll click through to some, some data 
that the article is actually quoting. And by the time I'm done going down maybe a layer or two into source material, um, in most cases, the source material is not saying exactly what the headline mm -hmm. uh, that was posted said. And in some cases, it's saying something even opposite of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think one of the disciplines, and again, that's the challenge here. It takes time. It, it's not a simple answer to come to the heart of a matter, especially a complex matter. We've somehow been conditioned in our world today that we can very quickly determine the answers to very complex matters. And I just think we need to, we need to back off from that, realize it takes time. It takes some hard effort to dig through layers and get to the source material and then be, be able to make an actual assessment of what's there. I do strongly believe, you know, we sometimes look upon the commandment, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness, is maybe not as important. Maybe some people look at it as not as important as killing or adultery. Yet we find that so much of our life through the whole day is involved in an atmosphere of false witness, where we're walking through molasses of information, of trying to figure out what's right and wrong. And some of those outcomes are outcomes of life and death. Whether it's one nation of how they view another nation or how it's one discipline views another discipline as far as healing or curing, it's a matter of finding the truth. I feel like one of the points of our lives, and at least that I have been examining myself, is that I really want to find out what is true. And if I think in ways that are not true, because I work with a group of people too, you know, who have different opinions and I find that there are people who have a certain bias towards uh, another person, not really based on facts, but based upon, you know, other things. But I do know that when Christ was confronted with a question by Pilate, you know, what is, what is truth? I think it's one that's resonated all the way through histories and generations of people seeking for, for truth. And I still look to someone humorous, to a Perry Mason uh, episode on television. <laughs> and here is the prosecution, and here's Perry Mason. And they're in a real jangle of a lot of facts that are drawn out from the deposition. It is so confusing. Finally, the judge finally says to both of them, he says, all I want to know is the truth. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, but just the way he said it, because of all the arguing and everything, it was said, I just want the truth. And I believe that ultimately, this is what ultimate living in this perfect society will be, is to really know what is right and what is true. In the book of Philippians, in chapter 4 and verse 8, we're admonished as Christians by the Apostle Paul, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, you know, to think about these things. It's an exhortation to seek those things, to find the truth, and then speak of those things and not take things that are half true, or like you said, if you dig down further, you find out that maybe the opposite was quoted or the information got distorted or corrupted along the way, and we didn't know it. Yeah, that, that's so well said, Nick. And, mm -hmm. and what really resonated with me was your your comments about bearing false witness and, and how much of our every day is just filled with all kinds of information being thrown around, which is not actually true at all. If, if we just accept these things at face value, you know, we see all the all the things going on in the business world right now with Ponzi schemes and different frauds that have taken place, whether it's in the crypto industry, whether it's in emerging technologies like electric vehicles and things like that. The, the number of things that have been perpetrated these days where people just put 
crazy ideas forward, whether it's around financial returns or technological innovations that just don't end up being true at all, um, is just amazing. And it, it's like, no matter how much things change in our, our modern world, they still say, stay the same. People, people put false information out there. They lie to try to get ahead, uh, to make money, to gather a following. And, and we just have to be constantly vigilant about that. Well, Andy, as we end up here, uh, let's make some kind of a statement about a word of advice to those who are listening to this, if they be just just regular citizens or whether they be in leadership positions, or you know, what can we say? And I would say that to those in leadership positions, because I have been in that in, in the church, is I would say seek for what is true and not be swayed by the winds of loud people, of gaslighting people, you know, of people who are very, very direct and forward in, in what they say, just because of the volume of what they say, it becomes true, or because of how slick they are as speakers. You know, I have seen people who have been just fantastic speakers, but really, there was re really not a full story in what they had. And I would say that my message to all in leadership is to really seek for what is true and to be considerate and to listen. And if you are in a position of having to make a decision, to make a decision that falls in the realm of true facts, but also to be able to have the skill to talk to all sides and try to explain your method. So anyway, that's that's my... <laughs> yeah, and, and Vic, I, I think I'd, I'd say a lot of the same things that you did, probably in, in, in different words, but really agree. I mean, when I think about it, um, any important decision is worth taking the time to make right. Um, and that, that means taking time to get all of the facts, uh, to assess them carefully, to get multitude of counsel. And like I talked about the last time we spoke, sometimes the most valuable people to get counsel from are people who disagree with you, mm -hmm. uh, who sometimes aren't, aren't always real nice to you about the way they put things, might put mm -hmm. them bluntly or just tell you you're just plain wrong and here's why. And getting those that multitude of, of viewpoint from people who are knowledgeable within the subject matter that you're looking at, and then assessing it carefully that way. Um, and exactly like you said, not listening to the people who are yelling the loudest or the most assertive um, in putting forward their opinions, because in the end, um, truth is fact-based. Um, we, we tend to get told in the world today that I can have my truth or this is my emotional truth. Um, but But in the end, uh, truth is fact-based. We have to get to those facts. We have to make determinations based on them. I think that what you said is so true about talking to people or being able to relate to people who are different from you is, is very important. And that takes a humility. I know we did this one time on the Council of Elders, only one time in 25 years, where we had everybody evaluate the others. But you only pick one person. And it was interesting who you picked. You know, tended to pick the person who was most like you and would say the kindest things towards you. And, you know, my wife suggested, why don't you pick so-and-so because he was just always kind of nettlesome. And that's the kind of people, like you said, you, you, you should perhaps seek out if you can get them to talk with you in a civil way about such matters. I, you know, when I, when I think about it just from a, a general listener, if you're not in, in a decision-making capacity over other people, the fact is we we all have influence over others in terms of the way we talk, the opinions that we put forward, how we make our decisions. We do all look towards each other, what people um, who are, we're friends with, who are quote unquote part of our tribe, the decisions they make influence us as well. 
And we have to remember that we influence others in terms of the decisions we make and, and, and how we look at facts and whether or not we evaluate them. So I think it's important, no matter where we are in life, to really develop this habit of take the time, get down to the facts, get a multitude of counsel, seek wide sources of information in a world that would like to hem us in and, and just keep us down one way of thinking and, and, and make sure that in everything we're doing, we're really trying to ferret out the, the right answer and the true information before we reach a final decision. Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you very much, Andy. It's just been really great having you to discuss these thoughts and ideas that percolate my mind and questions that come from the next generation of people who are seeking to pass on the truth, as we call values and the faith that we have to others. But then it must be the truth, and it's got to be presented in a truthful way, in a way that will stick and the only way it'll stick if it is indeed the truth. Well, thanks, Vic. Always, uh, always interested in talking with you, and it's always thought-provoking to exchange ideas with you, so I appreciate it. We thank you, our listeners, for joining us here today for The Cubic Report. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Podbean, which includes information about this podcast, Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, Pocketcaster, and other podcasting platforms. You can easily find us on any browser address bar by simply typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your impressions and suggestions. So write to us at thecubic at gmail.com, V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon.